Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please take up your Bibles. We're in our series through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We've come to our last fruit, self-control. If you turn to Titus, chapter 2. As I preach, I'm going to focus on verses 11 to 14, but I will read from verse 1 of chapter 2. So Titus chapter 2, it's on page 998, or 1184 in the blue, larger print. So Titus chapter 2, as I said, I'll focus on 11 to 14, but we'll read from verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, I'm amazed how often... I can uh, do things without actually thinking about them. Um, I don't know, perhaps you see a biscuit in front of you and somehow the next moment it's gone. Um, or, Or you're standing in a queue and somehow your phone is suddenly in your hand and you're scrolling without even realizing you're doing it. Perhaps you've had moments like that. And some of these things don't seem to matter too much, do they? But others, they're more serious. And we, we know, actually, life isn't quite as we want it to be. 
We, we do what we want, but it's actually not what we want, if that makes sense. I don't know, just perhaps that, that doom scrolling in the evening that means you've stopped talking to your housemates. Or that habit of looking at women in a leery kind of way as you walk past them. Actually, we, we know we're not in control of what we do as we'd like to be. And as the, the fruit of the Spirit begin to take root in our lives, this, this last fruit, self-control, becomes, becomes extremely important. And one I bet we've struggled with again and again and again. As Paul in Romans 7 says, uh, we can end up saying this, I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It's so frustrating, isn't it? That regret that hits us once again. Because uh, we've said yes to something we wish we hadn't. And society doesn't generally help us as the, the, the message there is to, to give in to yourself, isn't it? Not to control it. But God's got a better way for us this morning. A way that isn't just giving in. Instead, it's a way full of life. And we find it here in Titus 2. Now, Titus uh, is a letter from, from Paul to a faithful elder uh, called Titus, who's been left by Paul in Crete, to the, uh, and he's left there to, in, uh, uh, to get the church established, to appoint elders of good character who can protect the flock. And then in chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to, to Titus teaching godliness in the church, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And as we read it, you may have noticed, self-control just came up again and again and again, didn't it? But then in verse 11, we, we kind of get under the skin of these commands, See there, it starts with a four, his reasoning. It's like he kind of opens up the bonnet of a, a good car and we see the engine behind its speed. As we, as we hear of God's people living self-controlled lives, well, here in 11 to 14, we see the engine. We, we see the power behind that kind of living. But to really understand how God grows our self-control, we need to get the bigger picture, the picture of what it's actually like to live as a Christian. And the first thing we need to see is this. There's a battle of kingdoms. That's the first thing we need to see, a battle of kingdoms. You don't have to live uh, very long to know we've all got a problem. As I said a moment ago, we, we've all had that experience of doing things we want, but also not quite sure that we want to do them. And Paul gives a word for them, verse 12. He calls them worldly passions. Passions are another word for desires, things we want to do. So worldly passions are things that God has said, they're bad, they're wrong, they're wicked, and we just want to do them, and we end up doing them. Now, often we do these things knowing they're wrong. You know, we know it might be wrong to fire a nasty comment on social media, but we just can't help it, and we, we know it's wrong, but we want to do it. Although sometimes, though, our consciences have got so distorted, we don't even realize we're doing wrong. We just want. We want things for me. Uh, we want prestige or power. We want my safety, my comfort. And so we just give in. It's kind of like we're enslaved to them. You know, you, we're out with our mates and we just have to have one more drink to keep up. We just have to have that extra biscuit in the cupboard. And, and even when we want to do something, I don't, something good, I don't know, like make sure my body is fit and healthy, without God in the picture, we, we can just do it not for God's glory but for my own. We're living, living for the kingdom of me. And as we indulge these ideas, uh, desires, rather than being more free like we assume, we actually become more and more ensnared. You know, I, I, I indulge my desire for alcohol and I become addicted. 
I, I indulge my desire for sexual pleasure by looking at porn and I, fi- and I find I look more and more and it gets more extreme and it wraps me in a net. We're enslaved. We're kind of so turned in on ourselves that all we can do is give in to myself. No restraint. It's the kingdom of me. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, deep down you, you know this isn't the way it should be. Perhaps you've said those words, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. Or you've got angry at someone else's impatience or failing. You know they should have controlled themselves somehow. But the problem is, sin has got its kind of murdering fingers everywhere. Although there's a glimmer in the background, sin has marred marred every bit of us. We, We can't trust what we think is good. We can't trust what we want to be good. We can't trust what we feel to be good. Even if I think it is, is it really? It's like as a society, we've realized there was a battle, but we we can't actually see the way out. And as Christians for us, there is a real battle. A real battle inside of us because something fundamental's changed. God has been at work deep inside of us. We're, We're people who've seen the grace of God. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. We're people who are being trained, verse 12, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We're people, verse 14, Christ has redeemed from sin. That means set free from it. We're people he's come to purify as he waits for his return. Actually, at the end of verse 5 of chapter 3, Paul puts it in different language. He says, we've been saved by the renewal of the Spirit." God, by his spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, has got into us and renewed us from the inside out. He's given us a new heart. He's growing fruit in us. And that means rather than just worldly desires and passions in us, we now have new godly ones, new godly desires. Desires no longer to live for the kingdom of me, but that seek to live for the glory of God, for his kingdom. We want to live godly lives. We want to use our body, our skills, our minds, our normal pleasures, all for God in the pursuit of love. If you've been a Christian for any bit of time, you, you know how God has, begin to changed, uh, has changed what you like to do. Before, I don't know, perhaps you, you're, when it came to your own time, you were all about you. You know, you made sure you had everything ready. You had a good book, you had massive headphones, a sign on the door that said, do not disturb, and, and boy, did people know it if they interrupted you. But now things are a bit different. Actually, you enjoy letting people in. You love your housemate so much that as they knock on the door, you just say, come in, what's bothering you? It's a new desire, a new desire for a, a new kingdom. So there's a battle in us. There's this fading, old, worldly passions and desires, distorted by sin, the kingdom of me, and it kind of sets up this old and tired army. But they won't go without a fight. Well, they want and they want and they want. And then there's our new godly desires, desires that aren't turned inward, but are set outward towards God's glory and the kingdom of his son and the the Holy Spirit kind of renews uh, uh, these soldiers and they begin to come out in force. Christ begins to change us to want what he wants, to love what he loves, to think how he thinks, to be Christ-like. And it's a battle. We want to love God and then the old sin rears its head again. And perhaps you've had that moment, you're texting someone who's been nasty to you, and you've written a vicious reply. 
And there's this tussle. You really want to get your own back. But you know you belong to Jesus, that he's your king, that you want to be like him, bringing peace. And your, your finger kind of moves from the send button, then to the delete button, and then back to the send button. And it's a battle. It's a battle inside of us. Listen to how Paul Tripp puts it. He says, he says our desires fight for our control of our hearts. What controls our hearts will exercise inescapable influence over our lives and behaviors. And that's why we need self-control. Because either we're going to end up living for the kingdom of me or the kingdom of Christ. Self-control is kind of that fruit of the spirit that sits in the background behind all the others. It's a bit like that administrator on your work team that actually makes everything happen without anyone realizing. It's the, it's the power That means the battle goes the right way. The old is beaten back so that the new can blossom in full flower. We end up saying no to my kingdom and yes to Jesus' kingdom. That's what self-control is. Saying no to me and yes to Jesus. It's not being controlled by the sinful self, but by the Holy Spirit. As people of Christ, we know Jesus' fruit is the best. His law is good and wonderful. A life lived like him is what we're made for. So if we want Christ's kingdom to be displayed in our lives, well, how are we going to grow in this fruit? How are we going to grow in self-control? If we have these good desires, how do we make sure we fulfill those and not the bad ones? Well, like any battle, the side that wins is the side that trains to win. The side that wins is the side that trains to win. And so we need to know this, secondly, that Christ's kingdom trains us. Christ's kingdom trains us. Let's go back to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Did you hear it? The grace of God has appeared, training us. God doesn't leave us unprepared for the fight. He's training us. It's like army training. You know, there's drills, there's fitness, there's, there's weapons training, there's survival techniques. Also, the right soldiers win. And God's training, it's all through Jesus Christ. Paul says the, the grace of God has appeared, which must be a reference to Christ's appearing because we have this grace of his first appearing. Then verse 14, we get the glory of his second appearing. So Christ coming into the world, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's all found in the gospel and that trains us. It instructs us, it changes us, it helps us fight. Now God is at work in his people, whether we know it or not. His grace is training us, his spirit is renewing us. But as I said with the kids earlier, God works in certain ways and he works through his word. He loves to not only create self-controlled people, but he loves to use his truth to do it. The Spirit, it takes the truth, the truth of the gospel, to actually change us. Let's just see how this works. The gospel, it firstly trains our minds. It gets in our thinking. The Word of God, it gets into our thought patterns. We begin to know what love looks like. What godliness looks like. It's like a new pair of lenses so that we can look at the world with. We, we see how good Christ's kingdom is. We start to see what we thought was good isn't and what is good, we know it. That's what he's been doing over the past few months as we've heard about the fruit of the Spirit. It's a complete change of worldview. 
It's like when you see one of those I don't know, films with a major twist at the end. I know this is an old film, but the classic is The Sixth Sense. And you watch it for a second time, and you know the ending, and you just see things differently, don't you? And that's what God's been doing. He's been giving us a different view of things. But the gospel doesn't just train our thoughts. It also trains our loves. It gets into our hearts and our desires. The word of God, it it transforms our motivations. It transforms our imaginations. We don't just know what's true. We love what's true. And so we begin to live self-controlled lives, lives for Jesus' kingdom. And, And here in Titus 2, Paul gives us three wonderful truths of the gospel that by God's spirit actually gets to work training our hearts and minds. Now, perhaps as we're going to look at these three, have a sin in mind that you're battling with. I don't know, perhaps it's your impatience, your judgmentalism, your sharp tongue, or your selfish habits, perhaps pornography or drinking too much. And especially bear in mind the reasons you've given in. What was it about the kingdom of me that won? Was it comfort or power? And then let these three glorious truths just take root instead. Because first, in Christ, we have a new power, a new power. Now, without God in the picture, there is a real inescapableness to sin, isn't there? It's just lurking, it's deceiving. Even if we try to do good, we end up doing what's bad. And so we inevitably give in. But verse 14 says, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness. Redemption is this picture of being bought out of slavery. It's freedom. The old power is broken. Its chains have been snapped in two. The door to my prison cell has been thrown open. It no longer has that hold over me. I can say no to sin. Because instead, in Christ, a new power is at work. The Spirit is at work in me. The God of life and purity and holiness. The God who can raise Jesus from the dead, let alone your heart. It's a bit like stepping into a car with a new engine. Before the engine, I don't know, would always splutter and die. And you're like, well, what's the point of driving it? But when you get in knowing it's just been replaced with a turbocharged V8 and you you just want to give it a test drive, it's a new power. And this is profound for us in our sin because often... We believe sin will just have the final say. Our attempts to do good, they're just going to splutter and die. What's the point? We just give in because we think it's inevitable. I gave in last time, so I'm probably going to give in this time. But no, Christ has redeemed us. We have a new power in us. Sin doesn't have the final say. We don't need to let it. Holiness can win because we have a new power. Give it a test drive. Secondly, in Christ, we don't just have a new power, we also have a new identity. A new identity. Listen again to these wonderful words. Verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, sorry, lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. If you are in Christ, if you are resting in him, you belong to him. You're his. You've been bought with his precious blood. He's paid for all your sins. He's made you his own. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, in life and death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. And that means I have a new name. I'm in a new family. And who we are 
then leads to what we do. Often we give in to sin because we believe that's who I am. That's who I've always been. We let our old sinful identity impact what we do. I'm just, I'm just a bit snappy. Or I'm just, I'm just a bit lazy. I'm just a bit greedy. That's who I am. And so as we believe it, we do it. It's a little bit like the problem of people coming out of prison. Even with the best will in the world, some go back to their old homes, their old haunts, their old friends. And because that's where they are, they start to believe, well, that's who I was, so that's who I am. And they end up doing what they used to do and end back up in prison. And with Christ, we, we come out of spiritual prison not to go back to being our own masters, living for the old kingdom. Instead, we have a new identity. I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was marked on me in my baptism. So the old way, it's not who I am. It's not who I will be. So we can look at sin as alien, as the intruder. It doesn't belong here. Sometimes it's, it's not just an old identity we believe. It's also the wrong kind of identity. We believe we are what we do. Instead of knowing that what we do comes from who we are. So we think, if I do good, then I've got a good identity. If I do bad, then I'm going to have a bad one. And the problem with that is that we think sin then determines who I am. And it's a very easy whisper. Very easy whisper from the devil or even from our friends. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. Given in again, have you? Or you can't be one of Jesus then. Failed, failed again, or God won't love you this time. Only the good ones he loves. That's just not true. Our identity is not based on what we do. It's based in being united to Jesus Christ. He has made me his possession. I belong to him so I can live for him. I I love him. I want to glorify him. I have a new identity. And thirdly, I have a new future. Part of the love of sin is that we love to build our own castles, I think. We, We love to make our own kingdom. We live for me. We live for my glory, my pleasure. Let's take greed, okay? I want the next thing for me. Whatever the impact on others or the impact on my heart long term, and so I build up this castle for me. But the thing is, my kingdom is not my future. There's a new future ahead. Verse 13, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Christ to come back, to appear from heaven, the glory of God, his kingdom, beautiful and eternal. It's bathed in goodness and truth. It shines in holiness, like like John described it in Revelation, as streets paved with gold. I get to live towards that kind of kingdom, towards that kind of ending. You know, my little kingdom, well, firstly, it's nothing in comparison, is it? My little self-centered castle. It's dark and it's dingy, it hurts and it fails. But also it's not my end, it's not my future. My kingdom won't last into eternity, Christ's will. His kingdom is forever, his wonderful glorious kingdom. The battle will be won, Jesus wins. I know the ending, any kingdom put against him is destined for hell. 
So rather than building some kind of weak personal kingdom that will never last, I can build for eternity. I can set my life waiting for my blessed hope. Rather than fulfilling my greed, I can be content with all that God has given me, generous to others, all as I wait for Christ to return. Why? Because I have a new future, new power, new identity, and new future. They're all glorious truths, aren't they? As we let them, by God's Spirit, they get to work, get to work on our thoughts and our loves. Christ's kingdom is training us. But he's training us to fight. He's training us to fight. That's the last thing. Training us to fight. Christ is at work in us, so we begin to live it out. The grace of God, verse 12, is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's training us for self-control, to live God's way, to keep in step with the Spirit, to say no, to say no to that old kingdom and yes to the new one, to actually do something as... Kevin DeYoung says, when it comes to growth in godliness, trusting does not put an end to trying. We fight. If the gospel gets to work in our minds and hearts by the Spirit, yes, we trust that. Oh, we rest in that. But it also looks like getting our hands dirty, actually living towards Christ's kingdom. And that firstly means saying no. Saying no. Paul says we're being trained to renounce ungodliness, to say no to it, to put it to death. And this is in every area of our life. If, if sin has got its tentacles everywhere, so we say no to that sin in every part of us. In our, well, it's in our thoughts or in our attitudes, in our, in our natural appetites even, like for food or for fun. John Calvin said this, self-discipline means that a man restrains himself as if he were a prisoner so that he's not prey to his pleasures, but mastered by God's hand, submitting to God's will and not to his own inclinations. Strong language, isn't it? Restraining myself as if I was a prisoner. Sometimes our, our friends or family might see us saying no to a temptation and actually think we're a bit weak. But actually, it's the opposite. This kind of self-discipline, this kind of fight, it requires a great amount of power, God's power, Self-control, it takes effort, it it involves taking every thought captive, it it involves being alert to our sinful habits, considering our desires, it it takes listening to God's promises over sin's lies, It, it takes knowing ourselves, you know, when am I more likely to sin, is it when I'm hungry or angry or or lonely or tired, can can I I, uh, prevent any of these? I had a friend at college who, who had a past of giving in to looking at pornography, God's word got inside of him. He knew God's way was better. He knew he had a new identity in Christ, a new power at work in him, a new future awaiting him. And he began to fight that old kingdom. And he knew the dangers, so he took no prisoners. He got rid of his smartphone and had a dumb one. He got rid of his computer and only used the college library computer for work, writing just for uh, work and writing his essays and sending his emails. He said he had to fill his evenings, so when he was alone, he just had to he just put on loads of classical music to help. It was brutal self-discipline. Of course, there are different ways to fight our sin, but, but this guy saw the wonders of God's kingdom, 
and let everything else fall by the wayside. He, he wanted holiness, and by God's grace and God's new power, sin didn't have the final say in him. His mind and heart was free. He was no longer gripped by it. He could even marry without porn lingering in the, in the relationship. It was a fight, though. And it's saying no, but we fight not on our own, but by that new power of God's spirit training us by his gospel. But self-control, it's not just saying no to that old way of life, it's saying yes. It's saying yes to something better. We get to say yes to self-controlled, upright and godly lives. We can fill our lives with goodness and beauty and truth, with love and joy, gentleness and kindness, with what brings life rather than takes away. We are free to live towards God. And so saying yes, it's seeing the opportunities and, and taking them for good. And perhaps with our minds, we fill them with the gospel, fill them with promises of God, fill them with stories that inspire and lift. With our actions, as we've seen week after week, it's sowing towards the Spirit's fruits, going outwards towards God in worship, in repentance and faith, going outwards towards others in, in generosity and joy and peace. And as we do, we begin to create habits, not habits that happen by accident, but habits empowered by the Spirit that have been deliberate and saying yes to good. That's the self-controlled life, isn't it? Saying no to the kingdom of me, and yes, to the kingdom of Christ. But as we finish, it's important to say we're at war. And often we lose some of those small skirmishes. We give in to the kingdom of me again. We sit back, I don't know, to save my comfort rather than move forwards for Christ. And in those moments, we mustn't forget the glorious truth of the gospel. We belong to Christ with a new identity, the Christ who died for us. We have his power in us, his future ahead of us. And so we rest in the knowledge that we belong to him with his father as our father, with his spirit, with our spirit. We're forgiven, righteous. And in his strength, we take another step forward, don't we? Another step towards Christ's kingdom, zealous for good works, fighting for what is upright and godly, all as we wait for Christ our Savior to return. To his name be the glory. Amen.